on a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Just going to rearrange the pulpit here. Um, so earlier in the service, we heard a passage from Acts chapter 1, which is an account of the ascension of Christ as that event would have appeared to the disciples. You could say that in Acts 1, we see the ascension from the perspective of earth. Well, there are some scholars who would say that in Revelation 5, this passage, we're seeing the ascension from the perspective of heaven. All right, now this, is, this, uh, this passage is part of this extended vision that John, the author of Revelation, had. It is highly symbolic. You understand that? We're not intended to take this literally. But what we, what we have in this passage seems to be this uh, very imaginative explanation of the spiritual significance of the fact that Jesus died, Jesus rose, and ultimately that he ascended, he ascended into heaven. So uh, one way you could approach this passage is to just think of this as if it were a three-act play, all right? And if you think it, about it that way, I guess you could say that act one is all about sorrow. It's about sorrow. And then in act two, we see a surprise. And then in act three, we hear a song. That's kind of the pattern. Sorrow, surprise, and song. So we'll start with the sorrow. Now, in the, in the chapter right before this, Revelation 4, uh, the author of this, John, he has this vision of heaven. And in this vision, he sees God seated on a throne. And then in chapter 5, he notices that the one who's seated on the throne is holding a scroll. You, you read about that, end of verse 1, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. What is the scroll? Well, the, the scroll... It seems to be a symbol of God's plan for the salvation and the restoration of the world. 
One scholar has written, the scroll is God's redemptive plan for the final scene of human history, the overthrow of evil and the gathering of a redeemed people to enjoy the blessings of God's rule. Someone else said, the scroll is the revelation of the final consummation of God's plan in human history, the gathering forth of a people, the judgment upon the wicked, the redemption of the church, and the restoration of all creation. That's the scroll. It just symbolizes this plan that God has to restore the entire world. Now, you'll notice here, John says that the scroll is in the right hand of him who sits on the throne. So it's not on the floor. It's not in the closet. It's not, you know, gathering dust on some shelf somewhere in heaven. No, no. The, God holds the scroll in his right hand, meaning God's plan to restore creation is very, very important to God. You'll also notice, John says, that the scroll has writing on both sides. There are no empty places, no margins. Everything is written. So apparently, this is a very, very detailed plan. The restoration of the world is not just some kind of afterthought for God. These are not a few, you know, a few ideas that he jotted down on a paper at the last minute. No, no, this is a detailed plan. Later in, in Revelation chapter 13, we learned that God's plan to redeem the world was devised, it says, from the creation of the world. Now, I, I don't know if you find that comforting, but I think that you should, especially if you've been having a rough week or a rough year. It's really, really wonderful to know that from the creation of the world, God has had a plan to fix everything that is broken. Amen? And, 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 to, and to recover all that has been lost and, and to judge everything that is evil and to heal everything that is wounded. God, God has this, this plan to restore the entire world and all that's needed for that plan to come to fulfillment is someone who is able to put it into action, right? Someone. You see, John says the, the scroll is sealed with seven seals. So if you think about it, there, there's no way to read the scroll unless you open the scroll. There's no way to open the scroll unless you break the seals. And there's no way to break the seals unless you happen to have the authority to do that. And that is the problem. John says in verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. No one could be found who is able to bring this plan to fruition. No one could be found. Do you ever, do you ever, um, you ever lose something at home? Of course you did. You know, you misplace your wallet, can't find your keys, and you look everywhere. You go through every closet, you look in every drawer, under every pile of dirty clothes, you go through all the pockets in your jackets, you can't find it. That's what happens in John's vision. They look everywhere for someone who could open this scroll uh, to, to bring this plan of God to fulfillment. And no one can be found. They look in heaven, I guess, among the ranks of the angelic uh, creatures. They, they look on earth among the millions of human beings. They look under the earth. What does that mean? The realm of the dead? I don't know. But no one can be found. No one. No, no one. No one is human enough to atone for human sin and yet also God enough to endure divine judgment. No, no one is pure enough to fulfill all righteousness, and yet merciful enough to empathize with sinners. 
No one is strong enough to conquer the wicked and yet meek enough to shelter the humble. No one is king enough to rule creation and yet servant enough to heal the weak and the wounded. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll and even look inside. So John says in verse 4, he says, I wept and wept. You ever just cry your eyes out? It's just broken. He says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. Now, John's, uh, John's emotional response to this situation might seem like an overreaction to you, does it? I mean, why is this guy weeping? Come on. But to the original readers of the book of Revelation, his, his reaction would have made perfect sense. You see, the, the, the book of Revelation was written during a season of history when it was not easy to follow Jesus in this world. In fact, it wasn't even easy to live in this world. The, the, the Roman Empire at that time stretched from Portugal in the west all the way to Iraq in the east, from southern England in the north all the way to Egypt in the south. They had conquered all of these peoples, all of these lands. The Romans demanded from the people they had conquered, they demanded submission to their rules, to their rule and allegiance to their gods from anyone in their empire. So in a world like that, to stand up and say Jesus Christ is Lord, when you're supposed to say Caesar is Lord, to say, Jesus Christ is Lord, listen, to do that, it could, that could cost you your friends, cost you your job, cost you your freedom. For some people, it even was costing them their life. So the original readers of, 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 John, of Revelation, they understood why John was weeping. Because they lived in a world where it just felt like everything was getting worse. With every passing year, everything is getting worse. And they hear that there's no one who can fix this. I wonder, have you ever felt like everything, have you ever feel this way? Maybe I'm just an old guy and I'm getting grumpy, but you ever feel like everything's just getting worse? The climate is getting worse. The economy is getting worse. The, the, like, the likelihood of a major international war or conflict, that's getting worse. The, the moral fabric of our society is just unraveling. All oh, just, ever just feel like everything's getting worse? Listen, if you're in a world where everything getting, is getting worse and you learn that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth will ever be able to fix the world, of course you'll start to weep. So the curtain falls, the light goes, lights go dim. That's, that's the end of Act 1. It's sorrow. Now, in Act 2, there's a surprise. And in fact, it, throughout the book of Revelation, there are a lot of surprises. And, and so, some scholars have noted that um, when you find these surprises in the book of Revelation, they often, they often follow a certain pattern. And here's the pattern. John will hear something. He hears something that is said or proclaimed to him. And then he'll turn to look at what was just described. And it's not what he expected. He's surprised. He'll hear, and then he'll look. And he's surprised. For example, in, in Revelation chapter 7, John hears that the number of the redeemed, the number of those who make it into the kingdom of heaven, is 144,000 people from the tribes of Israel. That's what he hears. And then he looks, and the, 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 uh, the company of the redeemed is a multitude too numerous to count. 
And not just from Israel, from every, every tribe and every nation, every people, every language. He's surprised. He hears, he looks, he's surprised. Again, that happens in chapter 17. John hears that Babylon, Babylon is the evil empire of the world. He hears that Babylon is a prostitute who is so beautiful and so seductive and so sexy that she has enticed all the inhabitants of the earth with her charms. She is, quote, the great harlot who sits on many waters. That's what he hears. And then he looks, and all she is is just some drunk woman riding on some weird animal. That's it. He hears, he looks, he's surprised. Again, in, in chapter 21, he hears that the bride, the wife of the Lamb, is coming. She's prepared, ready for the wedding with her husband. Isn't this wonderful? The Messiah has a bride. And that's what he hears. And then he looks, and the bride is not just one woman. The bride is a whole city of women and men and chip boys and girls. It's the new Jerusalem. He, see, that's the pattern. He hears something, he looks, and it's different than what he expected. He's surprised. And that's what happens here. That's the pattern. He, he's weeping and weeping. No one is found who can open the scroll. Then verse 5, this is what he hears. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lion has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. So John hears that the Messiah, the anointed one, is a lion. The, the one who's going who's gonna to bring to fruition the plan of God is, is a lion. Listen, let me ask you a question. What do you know about lions? Well, you know about lions. lions. Lions are big, right? They are fierce. They're violent. If you're at the zoo, the Bronx Zoo, and they announce over the, there has been a lion escaped from the lion cage, you know, you're heading for the exit, right? They, they, they kill people. That's how lions live. They, lions feed themselves by hunting down their prey. They stay, lions stay alive by killing others, right? So John hears the Messiah is a lion, and what is he thinking? Oh, he's thinking, oh, here we go. God's plan to bring his, his redemptive plan to fruition. It's going to be through power. It's going to be through control, through domination, through might. It's a lion. And then he looks at the lion. Surprise! Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing at the center of the throne. That's, that's the surprise. That's the, isn't that the big surprise of the gospel? That's the big surprise. God's way of rescuing the world, God's way of redeeming His people is not through strength but through weakness, right? It's not, it's not through wealth, but it's through someone who was so poor he had no place to lay his head. It's, it's, not, it's not through dominance. It's through servanthood. It's not through glory. It's through shame. God's, God's way of rescuing the world is not by a, a sword. It's by a cross. It's by Jesus. Jesus is the one He's the one who, rather than, rather than killing his enemies like a lion would do, he's the one who, rather than killing his enemies, he loved his enemies, and he laid down his life for us so that we might live. That's the surprise. In, in the words of uh, Mark, 
uh, 10, verse 45, the surprise is that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It, in the words of 1 Corinthians 1.25, the surprise is that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. In, in, in Colossians 2, verse 15 would say that the surprise is after having disarmed the powers and authorities, God made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them, by the cross. The surprise, Acts 2 verse 36 says, the surprise is that God made this Jesus whom we crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The, here's the big surprise. Have you heard this? The surprise, Romans 5 verse 8, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The lion, isn't that something? The lion is a lamb. Now, there's some weird things about this lamb other than the fact that he was dead. And somehow, isn't that amazing? He's alive again. But what's weird is the lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. And I've never seen a lamb like that. Again, very symbolic, right? And in Jewish apocalyptic literature, um, seven is the number for perfection or completeness. So that the lamb has seven horns because he is perfectly powerful. There's no limit to his power. And, and, and the, seven, the seven eyes are the seven spirit of God, the, se the sevenfold spirit of God. He had seven eyes because the fullness of divinity, the fullness of, uh, rests on him. He's unlimited in his power and he's fully divine. And if you think about that, you say, wait a minute, how in the world did someone like that ever get slain. Who could kill someone like that? Who could overpower him? No one could. Jesus said in John chapter 10, he said, no one, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own volition. But anyway, first, act one, there's sorrow. Act two, there's a surprise. And then act three, we find out that this play is actually a musical, right? Because it ends with a song. They burst into song and dance, you know, Here's what it says, starting at verse 7, the lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, and they sang a new song. And here, here, here are the lyrics to their song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. They, they sang this song. Now if you, if you read on in the chapter after, after the uh, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, after they get done singing their song, then there's a choir that comes on the stage, and it's millions and millions and millions of angels. And the angels start singing, and the song they sing, verse 12, is this. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. They finish their song, and then when the angels are done singing, then we read that, that in verse 13, every creature... Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them begins to sing. Every, every frog starts to sing. Every, every fish starts to sing. Every bird starts to sing. Every butterfly starts to sing. All, uh, all of creation is singing. You say, why are all these little critters singing? Why are these animals singing? I'll tell you, I'll tell you why creation is singing. Because do you know this? 
Listen, it's not just human beings who are rescued by the Lamb. The Bible says that all of creation will be restored. And here's what all these animals sing. Verse 13, they sing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So that's the three-act play. It's three acts that show us about the ascension, but you could almost say it's, it's three acts that, that unravels the whole story of redemption. It starts with sorrow. It leads to a surprise. And it ends with a song. A song. Now, one thing I think worth noting is that when the, when the four living creatures and the 24 elders, when they start to sing with joy over the fact that the redeemed of the Lord, verse 10, will uh, reign on the earth. Isn't that something? That one of the things they sing about is the fact that we, we get to reign on the earth. When, when they sing that, they did not mean that Christians are to try to enforce the principles of God's kingdom through political pressure or military might or cultural persuasion or financial leverage or slick marketing or celebrity endorsement. You know, sometimes Christians forget that. We think that's what we're supposed to do, right? No, when they started singing about the fact that we're going to reign on the earth, well, they, they, they're rejoicing in the fact that we're going to reign the same way Jesus reigns, right? Not as lions, as lambs. There's an old hymn that says, not, not with swords loud clashing or roar, roll of stirring drum, but with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. We, we, we live out we live out the principles of the kingdom the same way that, that our Savior did, by serving and loving and laying down our lives. I, I think uh, Francis of Assisi, if, if he indeed wrote this prayer, I think he, he kind of summarized the way we're supposed to live. Here's, here's what he prayed. He said, Lord, have you heard this prayer? He said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is doubt, let me sow faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. He said, O oh, divine master, grant that I might not so much seek to enjoy comfort, but as to give comfort. Not seek to be understood as much as to understand. May I not seek to be loved, but to love. He said, for it is in giving that we receive, it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. So here's what John hears. One of the elders said, don't weep, don't weep. See, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. John said, then I saw a lamb. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that when you sent your son into the world, he did not come as a lion seeking to destroy his enemies because we were among your enemies and surely he would have torn us up. Thank you that he came as a lamb to lay down his life for us. And thank you that this 
once slain lamb is now ascended to glory. That the one who died for us now rules over all creation. That, that the one whose life was given on the cross is, is now surrounded by choirs that sing his praises. That he is in charge of this world we woke up in this morning. And thank you that one day he will come back. So help us to trust the Lamb. Help us to follow the Lamb. Help us to live like the Lamb with faith in your goodness. In Christ's name, amen.